Good morning. Hear the word from the Lord, from Isaiah 11, 1 through 10. Then a shoot will grow from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots will bear fruit. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him, a spirit of wisdom and understanding, a spirit of counsel and strength, a spirit of knowledge and a fear of the Lord. His delight will be in the fear of the Lord. He will not judge by what he sees with his eyes and will not execute justice by what he hears with his ears. But he will judge the poor righteously and execute justice for the oppressed of the land. He will strike the land with a scepter from his mouth and he will kill the wicked with a command from his lips. Righteousness will be a belt around his hips. Faithfulness will be a belt around his waist. The wolf will dwell with the lamb, the leopard will lie down with the goat, the calf, the young lion, and the fattened calf will be together, and a child will lead them. The cow and the bear will graze, their young ones will lie down together, the lion will eat straw like cattle, an infant will play beside a cobra's pit, a toddler will put his hand in a snake's den. They will not harm or destroy each other. On my entire holy mountain, for the land will be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the sea is filled with water. On that day, the root of Jesse will stand as a banner for the peoples. The nations will look to him for guidance, and his resting place will be glorious. This is the word of the Lord. All right, so if you notice, we're not in the book of Mark right now. Um, we're going to take a little break from the book of Mark and uh, do some sermons regarding Advent and Christmas and thinking, thinking about what this season is about. And so we're looking at this prophecy from the book of Isaiah. And what's interesting, if you pay attention, it seems to be a longing for righteousness and justice, particularly a longing for a leader who will faithfully execute righteousness and justice. And the reality is, we all have this longing. We just had this uh, political season in November. No matter which side you're on, that side was like, well, righteousness and justice will be accomplished like this. Nobody's running and saying, let's just do bad stuff. Everybody's running and saying, this is the way that we are going to execute righteousness and justice. So it's a basic longing of the human heart. That we would have a leader, that we would have leadership that would, would judge and do what is right. We can even see it in the psalm that we recited this morning. Now, every, the, the inner teacher in me wants to give a mini teaching on every time we do a little psalm. But I'm like, well, I'm going to teach later. But Psalm 72, the one that we recited, it says, God give justice to the king and your righteousness to the king's son. What is he talking about? This is a psalm that is asking that the ruler of Israel will be a righteous and a just king. The prayer continues, he will judge your people with righteousness and your afflicted ones with justice. Now, now here's a, a thing that you not need to remember. The rapper Shai Lin says this, Y'all should be reminded, y'all should be mindful of this devout thesis. All of the Bible is about Jesus. 
So even though in this psalm, he, the psalm, the author of the psalm is thinking towards the Israel's king, we're supposed to see it and go, actually, this is about the king of the world. This is about the king that will come and he will judge righteously and he will protect the poor and the afflicted. And during this Advent season, during this, this Christmas season, we celebrate that the one who will bring justice and righteousness has already come. That's what we celebrate. And when we look at this text today, we're going to get to see some particular traits of this king who has come and this king who will come again. So let's pray. Let's ask God to help us. Father, would you please open up the scriptures for us this morning? That that we would see what you intend for us to see in this text. That our hearts would be moved uh, with, with joy and thankfulness for all that you have done and all that you promise to do. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so we look at verse one. It says, then a shoot will grow from the stump of Jesse and a branch from his roots will bear fruit. Now, some of y'all go, who is Jesse? Who is that person? Jesse is the father of King David. Jesse, the father of King David, one of the most famous kings in the history of Israel. And God made a particular promise to King David. It's a very important promise. God said to him, When your time comes to be with your ancestors, I will raise up after you your descendant, who is one of your sons, and I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for me, and I will establish his throne forever. That promise is like, listen, David, you're a good king, but I'm actually going to raise up a king who is a descendant from you who will have a throne forever. Now, that should strike you as a little strange because if his throne is forever, that means he lives what? Forever. And so as you're looking at this prophecy, you're like, one of David's sons is going to be a king and a king that's going to live forever. When we get to the Gospels, it's very clear. The Gospel authors that make a big deal that Jesus is in the lineage of David and that he is the long-awaited king that will have a kingdom and a throne that will last forever. So this is, this is the hope of Israel, really the hope of, of the nations, that this righteous, good, godly king would, would rise up and that he would establish a kingdom that will last forever. But if you look at this text, it's really interesting because it says a shoot will grow from the stump. Now, a stump is a pretty big thing, and, and a shoot is like this little bitty plant. It says that there will be a, a branch from its roots, this small little insignificant growth will come from this stump. Listen, the, 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 it, what this points to is the humble beginnings of our Savior. Like, so we think about the king of the universe, the king of the whole world, where is he going to be born? Wouldn't it be a palace? A pristine hospital room in our, in our opinion? But when we look at the birth of Jesus, we see the king is born in a manger. Not only that, at the time, the house of David, the kingdom of Israel, was, it wasn't even a kingdom. It was being ruled over by the Roman Empire. It is as if somebody cut the kingdom down and cut the kingship down. Nevertheless, God said, I am going to establish my king right here. And this is even more of a big deal when we realize who Jesus is. 
Jesus is God in the flesh. The one who created all things. Who in heaven is worshipped for all eternity. Where there is perfection. Has condescended and lowered himself to be born in a manger. The eternal God is born to a defeated house. To a poor family in a manger. You know, when you think of a king, you might think of someone who kind of is a little prideful. Maybe they're feeling themselves. But we have this king who from the beginning displays his humility. His pursuit of us meant that he would become low and that he would not be ashamed to be among the lowly. The text goes on. We can see that Jesus has wisdom from the Holy Spirit. In verse 2, it says, the spirit of the Lord will rest on him. A spirit of wisdom and understanding, a spirit of counsel and strength, a spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. His delight will be in the fear of the Lord. He will not judge on what he sees with his eyes. He will not execute justice, but what he hears with his ear. Now, there, there's two things. There's a phrase that's repeated two times in that text. It says that, that he will have the spirit of the fear of the Lord and his delight will be in the fear of the Lord. So we've got to ask our, this question, what is the fear of the Lord? Does it mean that he's scared of God? No, no, that's not what it means. A fear of the Lord is a sense of awe, a sense of reverence when you think about God the Father. It also is this understanding that you will have to give an account for what you do. So, so, so like, the Bible encourages us to walk in the fear of the Lord. It's a constant encouragement. And the way that you apply that is that you understand that your whole life, all the things that you've said and all the things that you have done, there's going to be a discussion with God, the judge, about what you said and what you've done. Now, you all know when people think nobody's looking, what are they doing? They're being shady, right? Things, don't happen, things good don't happen in the dark. But, but what we understand is that even if nobody else is looking, we will have to give an account to what we have said, to what we have done to God. That, and understanding that, that is the root of the fear of the Lord. That I'm going to have a, to have a discussion about what I've said and done, even when nobody else has, set, has seen it. Often, oftentimes when I'm praying, you know, we have these series of prayers that we do. When I'm praying for uh, political leaders, I pray that they would have the fear of the Lord. That they would know that they'd have to give an account for what they do and what they say. The Bible says that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So, so, so when you think about a young child, how did they learn wisdom? When their parents said, what did you just do? Don't do that. Now, the hope is that they will grow up, right? That they don't always have to be told. But the beginning of wisdom is when you realize that you will have to give an account, that there is an authority above you, and that you will have to have a conversation about what you have done. Now, what's beautiful is it's because Jesus feared and obeyed the Lord. The Holy Spirit gave him wisdom, understanding, counsel, strength, and knowledge. Like, like God the Father rewarded Jesus for his fear of the Lord with this, this, this poured out spirit of abundance. In other words, Jesus knew what to do and say in every situation. Why? Because he had the fear of the Lord and the Father gave him the Holy Spirit so that he would know how to respond. Even when he was young, 
There's a story in the book of Luke, and he's around 12 years old, and he's in the temple. And what it says, it says, it says, after three days, they found Jesus in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. And all those who heard him were astounded at his understanding and his answers. Jesus is displaying this perfect wisdom. The fear of the Lord actually gives prudent judgment. Those who do not have the fear of the Lord judge by worldly standards. Remember what it says? It says he will not judge by what he sees with his eyes. He will not execute justice by what he hears with his ears. What does that mean? That, that means that, that, that he won't merely look at worldly outward standards to execute his judge, judgment. When you go back to Genesis 3, when the first sin is recounted, I want you to notice what happens. It says that, so the snake came to Eve and said, yo, listen, this fruit is good. It's good to taste. It looks kind of cool. And then she looked at it. What did she do? She judged. Oh, maybe that's right. Maybe, that is, maybe that's a good idea. See, she judged by what she saw instead of what she heard from God's word. Prudent judgment comes from when we judge by the standards of God's word. Those who fear the Lord make decisions by basing their values upon the scriptures. And this is true of even, even Jesus. Jesus, when he's going through his major temptation, when Satan is tempting him to, to turn the stone into bread and to, to throw yourself off the temple, and he's given all these temptations, remember what Jesus said. He always responded with, it is written. He responded by the standard of scriptures, and that gave him prudent and wise judgment. So we have a king that knows what to do in every single situation and doesn't judge just by outward standards, but judges by the moral and good law. And one of my favorite parts of this verse, and it talks about how Jesus protects the poor and the vulnerable. In verse four, it says, but he will judge the poor righteously and execute justice for the oppressed of the land. He will strike the land with the scepter from his mouth, and he will kill the wicked with the command of his lips. Listen, it says that Christ will defend the rights of the poor and the oppressed. Now, here's, here's the interesting thing about our, our King Jesus. I, sometimes I think about people who write laws about how to protect people in need and how they're so far from them. That in their life, they don't actually intersect with needy people. And a lot of times they're making these laws and they don't know nobody who actually has needs. But when you look at the life of Jesus, where was he? He was with the poor and he was with the needy. In fact, his enemies would say, why are you hanging out with all those sinners and those prostitutes and all those, those nasty people? Why are you hanging out with him? No, listen, Jesus loved the poor so much that he didn't just execute good judgments from afar, but that he stoops low and enters into their lives. Look who our king associates with. There's a phrase that, that I love to say when, we, when we're talking about the subject of justice, and it's this, that we don't really have accurate advocacy without proximity. What I mean is this, you can't actually speak up for people that you don't know. If you don't know them, how are you going to speak up for them? We got all of you want to help those people, define the category, help them or those or that class of people. Do you know anybody? Because if you don't know the people who have needs, how can you properly advocate for them? But then we have this king who left the glory of heaven. 
and endure the, the worst of the worst. He understands how to, how to advocate for us because he was near us and with us. It says, it says something that we don't like. He says, he will strike the land with the scepter from his mouth and he will kill the wicked with the command of his lips. Uh-oh, I thought Jesus was like a nice shepherd just chilling. Listen, the word of God spoken by Jesus will bring deliverance and it will bring judgment. It brings deliverance. The reality is this. Jesus says that blessed are the poor in spirit. So whether you got a lot of money or not, you are poor spiritually. And if you would come to him, he will bring you deliverance and forgiveness and peace and rest and eternal security. However, those who do not follow his laws and oppress others will face judgment by his word. I want to pause here for a minute because a lot of times people think that God is being nitpicky because of sin. But the reality is that sin hurts people. Sin oppresses people. Even the sin that you do in secret warps the way that you view people. And ends up, it ends up infecting the way that you view people and it makes, makes people objects. Listen, our sin matters because our sin negatively affects other people. If I steal, is somebody affected? Yeah? Uh, let's just keep it 100. If I walk around lusting, is my wife affected? Yes, sin matters because it has a negative effect on people. So when you're trying to understand the anger of Jesus towards sin, you need to understand that, that he is angry because he is defending those who are weak. He says in John 12, he says, this is what Jesus says, the one who rejects me and doesn't receive my saying has this as his judge. The word that I, will, that I have spoken will judge him on the last day. The word that I spoke. So Jesus has given us his word and the scriptures. And he says, listen, when you stand before me, I ain't going to give no new judgment. I'm going to say, did you listen to what I said? Jesus offers us deliverance, but if we're obstinate, he offers us judgment. So we have this king who, who is, is not afraid to associate with the lowly, that, that he has this wisdom given from the spirit, and, and, and he protects the poor and vulnerable, and he will embody righteousness and justice. In verse 5 it says, righteousness will be a belt around his hips, and faithfulness will be a belt around his waist. How often do we get so disappointed when we hear about somebody who is, is speaking very good and beautiful things, but their life on the inside is messed up? That their life doesn't actually match what they're saying. You'll find somebody who might be a, a great defender for the rights of the poor, but then they're defrauding people. And you're like, wait, 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 ah, what? What is going on? But not so with Jesus. That, that in Jesus, he, he, he has righteousness like a belt that, that is always around him, always exhibited by him. His reign is held together and accomplished by his holy conduct. Beloved, he has private righteousness. He does what is right even when no one is looking. How would I know that? Listen, listen. One of, two of his main followers after he rose from the dead is his mama and his brother. If anybody would have known that Jesus was tripping, I'm sure it would have been Mary and James. But we look at their lives, and they end up worshiping him. 
If he had dirt, they would have known. He conducts public justice and faithfulness, always defending the rights of the poor, always defending those who are weak. And not only that, he brings peace through the knowledge of God. That, knowledge of God, that, that, that hefty passage says the wolf will dealt with the lamb, the leopard with the goat, the calf, the young lion, the fattened calf, and a child. Like, this is crazy peace from things that ought to be at enemies and have, have, have uh, frustration with one another. In verse 9 it says, they will not harm or destroy each other. On my holy mountain, for the land will be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the sea is filled with water. In other words, Jesus will bring peace between entities that are usually at war. The church father, John Christosom, he he was in in what is modern-day Turkey in about the 400s. He says, when he's interpreting this this prophecy, he says, the prophet also foretold the kinds of people from whom the church would be established. Not only the meek and the mild and the good would form the church, the wild, the inhuman, and men whose ways were like those of wolves and lions and bulls would flock together with them and form one church. Hear how the prophet foretold the diversity of this flock when he said, the wolf shall feed with a lamb. And here, the, the beautiful thing is what you have in the church is people who come from different backgrounds, who have struggled with different sins. Some people got a long record of wrong. Some people don't have as long a record of wrong. Whatever it is, no matter what, what way you can slice and divide it, we have all these different people coming together under one Lord and living in peace. Jesus establishes this, this beautiful ethnic unity. Look at in Ephesians 2, it says, But now in Christ Jesus, you who are far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he is our peace, who made both groups one. He's talking about the Jews and the Gentiles. Some of the most intense ethnic uh, uh, friction you can imagine. He made both groups one and tore down the dividing wall of hostility in his flesh. I want you to understand something. In Christianity, you have the most diverse global movement that has ever existed in the history of the world. That's not just me making stuff up. That's verifiable fact. In fact, if you were to look at the average Christian, if you were to describe the traits of an average Christian in the whole world, it would be a young African woman. That's, that's the average Christian. He has established this movement that has brought together all these different kinds of people, all shades of people, all backgrounds, lots of baggage, little baggage, whatever. He brought everyone together and says, I'm going to make you one. And this also points to the beauty of this new creation where there will be eternal peace. See, how could this be? Jesus gives us the knowledge of God, which leads to humility and kindness. I had somebody uh, reach out to me this week and they said, how can I grow in forgiveness? I love those conversations. Somebody asked me how they can do something for the Lord. I'm like, yeah, let's go. Listen, the way that we can grow in forgiveness and humility is by realizing how much we ourselves have been forgiven. When we see the reality of our own sin, our own offense against God, and see how Jesus shows us abundant grace and mercy, why would we hold 
grudges against one another. Listen, the knowledge of God, when you see the grace of God, it motivates you to want to be at peace with everyone because God made peace with you. And we get to the last little bit in this verse. And in verse 10, we can see that Jesus and his work are symbols of salvation. On verse 10, it says, On that day, the root of Jesse will stand as a banner for all peoples. The nations will look to him for guidance, and his resting place will be glorious. What this is saying is that the banner of Christ rallies all kinds of people together. When, when you think about a banner, I want you to think about, about an army. And they're like, where do we gather? And someone lifts up the banner, like, oh, that's the part. That's the place where we're supposed to all get together. Listen, the ba- banner of Christ rallies all kinds of people together. Listen, all people are in need of forgiveness and healing. And this perfect king, the one who embodied righteousness and justice, the one who, as it were, would wear righteousness and judgment as a belt at all times, this perfect king ended up on a cross and died in our place for our sins. And he rises from the dead. He offers forgiveness and healing to all people. This is the unifying thing. He is the symbol. He is the banner that we all run to. He is the draw and the commonality. That's why we got to listen. People are always wondering, how how do we make there be unity? Well, we got to talk about the one who unifies. The one who draws from every tribe and tongue and nation from every every stage and style of life and says i offer forgiveness and healing to you and you and you and we all can rejoice in him now here's the deal when we when we read these old testament passages and we and it talks about how jesus will rule and reign i think a common question would be well what does that look like now right because let's let's be honest sometimes we look at the world it doesn't look so pretty and we hear these prophecies about Jesus being the king who establishes peace. The question we should ask is, how does he establish his kingdom? And beloved, here is the answer. Jesus rules through the church. So, so, so one of the metaphors for, for Christianity, one of the metaphors for the church is that, is that we are the body of Christ, the, the head Christ is in heaven, but his body is on earth doing work for his kingdom. So in reality, these prophecies that ultimately point to Jesus get fulfilled through us as we walk in obedience in this world. What do I mean? Jesus gives us wisdom from the spirit. Yeah. Beloved, if we walk in the fear of the Lord, the same spirit that gave Jesus Christ wisdom is going to give us wisdom. How did he get that wisdom? He got that wisdom through this meditation on the scriptures. Remember, because when he was tempted, what did he say? It was written. So how do we gain this wisdom? We would meditate and look at the scriptures. And the spirit of God would open up the scriptures and give us wisdom as we face the different difficulties of life. In Psalm 119, it says, long meditation on the word of God. And a couple of verses says, this is how I love your instruction It is my meditation all day long. Your command makes me wiser than my enemies, for it is always with me. I have more insight than all my teachers because your decrees are my meditation. I understand more than the elders because I obey your precepts. I have kept my feet from an every evil path 
to follow your word. Beloved, one of the ways that Jesus displays his wisdom in the world is by a church that meditates on his word. Not only that, Jesus produces righteousness and justice in us. That, that through the means of grace, through reading scripture, through praying, through fellowship, that that same righteousness that he had as, as a belt around him becomes a belt around us. And he begins to transform us so we look more and more like him. And the hope is that when we speak God's word, we can say, we follow this thing too. And he works that in us. And then we have a savior who, who, who does justice for the poor and vulnerable. So what should the church do? The church should do justice for the poor and the vulnerable. Now, let me, let me back up for a minute. A lot of times, when, some people get really funky when I say the word justice. In 2020, a lot of people asked me if I was a Marxist. I'm not, by the way. But let me explain. What, what does it mean for the church to display justice? There, there are four, four ways. Listen, we display justice through serving those who are in need. If there are people in need, we serve them. And that is Jesus ruling and reigning through his church. We, we do justice by advocacy. So listen, there are people who are hurting who don't have a voice. And when we speak up for them, we are copying Jesus and advocating. So the, the woman who was about to get stoned by the Pharisees, she didn't have a voice. But Jesus said, hold up, I got something to say. Beloved, we do justice by being faithful in all of our roles and responsibilities. That, that, that my role, my, my three major roles, husband, father, pastor, I am doing justice if I do those well. You have unique roles. But if you are doing those well, that is Jesus executing justice for those around you. And the last way is that, that we do justice through institution. That's a little bit of a hard one, but there are different entities that exist to accomplish particular tasks. So let me just make it plain. There's an institution in our community, Carolina High School, that doesn't have as much resources as other schools in our area. So what do we do? We help it. They don't have a booster club. So why are we hosting, hosting the, this, this, this uh, lunch or this dinner? Because we are helping an institution that serves our community that doesn't have resources. What I love is that it's actually not super complicated when you really think about it, how the church does justice. And that means every single one of you can actually do it. It's not some lofty goal that is unreachable. But you yourselves can think about, who can I serve? Who can I stand up for? Am I serving the people right in front of me? Do I have time to serve an arm or an institution that is doing justice and helping others? Beloved, that's Jesus ruling and reigning through his church. That is how he is fulfilling this prophecy. And lastly, the church holds up the banner to call all people to Christ. Listen, we exist to glorify and honor Jesus. And what's beautiful about that, Jesus said, when I am lifted up, all people will be drawn to me. So we speak about this good news of the gospel with a hope and an assurance that that rallying cry, that banner, that signal, that that's going to call all people to him where they can find a place of rest and forgiveness and peace. How is Jesus, is, how has he accomplished the extension of his kingdom? Through you and me 
as we seek to obey him. Our king who was humble, who suffered, who died, who reigns forever. He is ruling through his people who will be obedient to his word. You know, Advent, Advent is, is an interesting word. Advent, what it means is, is coming. And Advent, we remember that he came. Yeah? He came. He was humiliated as he sought to save us. But we also remember that he's coming again. And everything that he started in his life and has continued through the church will be completed when he comes back. So we're on this project of extending the kingdom, but we actually know how it ends. It's not going to fail. He's going to come back and he's going to establish it forever. And there'll be righteousness, joy, and peace there. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much that you have given us your word that we could see who you are, what you were like. Lord, we praise you that there is a just judge. There is a righteous king who is not simply looking out for himself, but who gave his life to save us. Lord, would we, would we follow in his steps? Would we love him and serve him and serve those around us? In Jesus' name, amen.